I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. With the election of Donald Trump and his selection of longtime school choice advocate Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education, we appear to be poised for a national push for policies to expand parental choice over the school their children attend. While some proponents of school choice are enthusiastic, many on the left of the political spectrum worry that the new administration may, as researcher Robin Lake recently put it on the Education Next blog, love school choice to death. How should progressive supporters of school choice respond to the election of Donald Trump? And how are they responding? I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and my guest today is Howard Fuller. Howard is the Distinguished Professor of Education and Director of the Institute for the Transformation of Learning at Marquette University, and the Founder and Chairman of the Board of the Black Alliance for Educational Options. Thanks for taking the time to join me today, Howard. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So how should progressive school choice supporters respond to the election of Donald Trump? First of all, I, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know what progressive means. So when I hear that term, I mean, people throw it out there, and then we're all supposed to understand <laughs> what it means. So I, don't, I, I really don't know what it means. But uh, if what we're talking about is that people who would consider themselves on the left, I guess, or more liberal in American political scene, if that's who we're talking about, um, I really don't have any advice for people other than I think people should continue to do the work that they believe in. If there's some things that happen in the Trump administration that people are opposed to, they should oppose it. And I felt I would have had to do the same thing if Hillary would have been elected. It just would, might have been a different set of conditions that I had to respond to. But since I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat, and since I believe that if you're poor and you're black in America, no matter who the president is, you're going to have to fight. The issue is just going to be what the fights will be. And when it comes to uh, parent choice and education issues, one of the interesting things is that with uh, ESSA, in my opinion, most yeah, of the real battles, yeah, uh, they're, they're going to be fought out at the state level. And, and while I understand the federal government will always have an impact, the question is, what is going to be the level of the impact? And, and, are, and are we really looking at a situation where those of us who care about education, and particularly who care about what happens to poor kids in this, what are we going to be doing in the various states in which we live to influence what happens with state policy? And then comes the question of federal policy. I think... The concerns that people on the left have expressed about the Trump administration really embracing the cause of parental choice are twofold. First, that the new administration may work to expand parental choice but not pay sufficient attention to ensuring that the choices available to parents are high quality. And then secondly, that just by embracing the cause of parental choice, they may undermine what has been bipartisan growing support for the concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, in American <laughs> education, this happens a lot just because yeah. Obama's for the Common Core. A bunch of people decide they're against it because George W. Bush was for No Child Left Behind. People decide that was a bad idea. Are you, are you worried about that? Well, I, I'm always worried about a lot of stuff, but let, let me just start out by saying 
I never knew there was this great groundswell of people on the left who supported parent choice. There are many people who say they support parent choice, but essentially they support charter schools, or that's the only element. They oppose vouchers. They oppose opportunity scholarships. So from my perspective, when we start talking about, well, what, what are people on the left who support parent choice going to do? I, I want to know what, what, what do they support in the first place before I can even you know, respond to the question. And, 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 and what I would say is that I'm a supporter of parent choice. I'm also a supporter of trying to make sure that the traditional public education system works well for kids. So I, I'm a three-sector person. I believe that poor parents and low-income parents ought to have choice as those of us with money have. I think that anybody who cares about kids, you want to make sure that the traditional system works well also. You want to make sure that people who access charter schools, that they work for kids. So I start out with the notion of I'm for all of it if it, in fact, gives people the power to choose, and it leads to quality options for kids. And we should say you're a former superintendent of schools in Milwaukee, yes. so you've worked professionally across yes. the sectors as well. Um, when it comes to Trump's choice for secretary of education, I think one of the ways of thinking about some of the concerns that have been expressed about Betsy DeVos is that people don't see her as a three-sector uh uh, worker, right? That most of her activity has been devoted to expanding private school choice. That seems to be her passion. Uh, what do you make of the DeVos choice? Well, first of all, I, I'm a friend of Betsy's, and uh, I know Betsy to be a strong advocate for the kids that I care about. And what I would say to people is, like when I became the superintendent, you know, people, oh, you know, he, he cares about vouchers and he's just going to go in here and try to destroy the system. Reality of it is when you go into those kind of positions, you you have to deal with issues that 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 are on your plate. And so Betsy is a very smart person. Betsy does care about trying to change the system. But in my mind, that doesn't mean that she's going to get in there and say, oh, I don't care what happens to, to uh, children who attend in schools in traditional systems. I don't think Betsy is going to be that kind of person. Will she be an advocate for parent choice? I hope so. But I also hope she will be an advocate for making sure that kids do well in the traditional system, making sure that whatever the policies are that need to ensure that poor children, that children of color, are, are, are in fact uh, treated well. I hope that Betsy will support whatever policies that are necessary to make that happen. One of the things I think has been left out of this conversation is that she's going to come into office if she's uh, confirmed by the Senate with actually a full plate of responsibilities when it comes to the implementation of the Every Student Succeeds Act. So it's not as if uh, she could just ignore that set of issues uh, altogether. Well, yeah, I mean, she's, well, what about higher education? You know, like I'm, I'm concerned, for example, about what's happening to HBCUs in this country. And, you know, these, these are issues that will be on Betsy's plate. I think to, to act like she can just come in and ignore all of those issues is kind of ridiculous. Now, I don't know what policies she will pursue around the range of issues that will be in the department. But, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. And, 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 and I think, frankly, some of the attacks on, uh, on Betsy 
are, uh, you know, attacks that come by virtue of the fact that she is who she is and, and who it is that she's working for. And a person like me who knows Betsy and respects her, you know, I, I, want, I want to be uh, a part of, of helping her in any ways that I can uh, if she asks me. But at the same time, if, if she or the administration pursues things that I think are detrimental to the kids that I care about, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that, that my views are known. So back to this concept of working across all three sectors. Why is the issue of private school choice important for you? Why not just converge on charter schools as a middle ground? Because I don't think we ought to have an America where only those of us with money have the ability to choose the best educational environments for our children. I am not a supporter of universal vouchers. I never have been and I never will be. I don't necessarily support all education savings accounts that somehow don't truly advantage poor children. So, you know, there are going to always be differences, even within the, the realm of those of us who support private school choice. And so from, from my perspective, um, if you are truly trying to make change for the poorest of our children, why wouldn't you want them to have access to those things that those of us with money have access to? Why would you want them to be empowered to make choices across the range of possibilities uh, for their children? One of the questions that then comes up, and this comes up in the context of charter school programs as well, is what accountability provisions should be in place in order to ensure that the choices that we're making available to low-income parents are of high quality. This is one of the issues that people have raised, again, in the context of Betsy DeVos's nomination. Uh, where do you come down on that debate well, about the appropriate set of accountability provisions for schools participating in a government-funded choice program? Well, over, over the years that I've been supporting uh, private school choice, vouchers, tax credits, et cetera, I have, is the word, evolved <laughs> on mm-hmm. the issue of accountability because it became clear to me that parent choice alone will not guarantee quality. But you can't have a strategy for reform that doesn't include a parent choice. So the question becomes, what is, what is the level of accountability that does not stifle autonomy and the ability for you to make changes? And I've always argued that my friends who work in the traditional public school system, instead of arguing that, hey, you all should have to abide by the same rules and regulations that we do, they should have made the opposite argument, is that if you have more freedoms, give us more freedoms too. But, but, but at a certain point in time, I've just concluded that, one, that Taxpayers have a right to know what it is that's happening to the money that is invested in private school choice. Number two, that you, you can't just assume that parents will, will go to good schools. There's a whole range of reasons why parents choose schools. And so I just concluded that you do have to have some clear accountability measures. And, and, and we do need to be able to make comparisons uh, so that we know what things are working, which kids are really benefiting, and how our schools working. And so I think that there are ways to come up with accountability systems that, on the private school choice side. And I, I think while it doesn't fit the narrative, 
when we were working, and the we in this instance was Bayo and 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 the other, Black Alliance for Educational, Black Alliance Educational Options, Options. Yeah. and other allies were working on accountability measures in Louisiana. The American Federation of Children, which Betsy was the chair, supported our efforts to bring accountability measures to that program in Louisiana. So, you know, for all of the talk, just in terms of that particular experience, I know that she believed that there needed to be accountability measures and was pushing back against gender who didn't want accountability measures uh, in the system at that time. So we shouldn't jump to any conclusions based on sort of partial stories about right. debates that Betsy's been involved in. I Well, the reality of it, Murray, is that people are going to jump to not conclusions, are, are going to reach conclusions based on political perspectives, based on ideology, no matter what the facts are. <laughs> so, so no matter what we say, there's going to be a range of people who have formed hardline positions based about Betsy, either based on what they think they know or the, or, or the specific data that they choose to use as a basis. So I don't, you know, I'm the kind of person, I've been out here long enough to know that no matter who you are, you're, you're going to be attacked if you try to do anything. Some of the attacks may be legitimate, some of them may not be, but at the end of the day, Betsy is a, is a smart person. She's She's not a scary person, and she wouldn't be taking a position like this if she couldn't stand the heat. So I don't, you know, whatever it is being said, you know, Betsy will have the opportunity to respond, you know, to the issues and concerns, and and, and she's going to do whatever it is she thinks is best, and then we'll all have to respond appropriately. Well, I think that's a uh, good note to leave it on. Wait and see, and pay close attention. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if, if, you know, if we truly care about kids, we're always going to have differences of opinion. There's always going to be differences of opinion based on politics, on, ide- on ideology. And, and, and some of it, frankly, is going to be demagoguery. And some of it is going to be true differences of opinion on the way to go. So, for example, if people were to ask me and nobody has, you know, I don't, I mean, I remember the the work that we did on trying to set up a demonstration project on parent choice with George Bush, the younger George Bush, Mm -hmm. was elected president. And I always felt like it should... Is this the Washington, D.C.? No, this this was... The Washington, D.C. program is an interesting one, and, and, and someday we should talk about it because I actually know how it started. And, and, and some of the revision, revisionary history that is going on is interesting. But, but having said that, we're talking about an effort to put together a demonstration project, mm-hmm. a federal demonstration project. And the idea really was that no area should be forced to have to have vouchers or tax credits or whatever, so that you would have a pot of money and those lo- localities or states or districts that wanted to pursue parent choice initiatives would have the opportunity to compete for that money so that it isn't like everybody's got to do this because everybody shouldn't do this. But there are places that uh, it would seem to me could come up with programs that would be designed that would particularly help poor children and that ought to be able to compete for, you know, federal dollars. Mm -hmm. But what I would hope is that even if such a program comes to be, that you don't do it at the expense of Title I, or you don't do it at the expense of taking money from, uh, you know, poor children to put it over in this pot, 
that that you know that what we would be talking about here, at least in my opinion, would be something that would be in addition to the programs that exist. I'm not saying that these programs shouldn't be reviewed and potentially, you know, redesigned. Programs but, like Title One. Yeah, but 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 I'm not in the in the group that is for taking money from poor kids who already don't have enough resources and then put it somewhere else as opposed to, you know, what Title I did in the beginning was to say that when Title I money comes in, you, you, you can't uh, take money that you're going to use for something else and, and use the Title I. It has to be on top of that. And I still believe that's to supplement, not supplant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I hear you actually saying that we might, that if you were advising the Trump administration and her nominee, you would encourage her to think not about nationwide programs that inevitably would need to draw in pots of money like Title I, but rather competitive programs where areas that do want to experiment with a new way of financing education would be able to compete for some dollars to support those efforts. Right. It, it might be heresy to say, but it almost be like a, a race to the top. <laughs> you know? Don't call it race no, to the top. No, we won't call it that. I won't call it Obamacare. Or whatever, <laughs> but but it, w- it, w- it would be something similar to that, right, in, in, in terms of the ability to, to, to compete for those funds. And, and you'd have to meet certain qualifications and et cetera. I mean, I think that that would be an, you know, an interesting way to go. Well, we'll be watching over the coming weeks and months and see whether they've taken your advice. <laughs> My guest today has been Howard Fuller. Howard, thanks for the conversation. Oh, hey, Marty, thank you. It was good to do it. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.